Well, would you please take the Word of God and turn with me uh, to the book of Acts and uh, chapter 20. <clears throat> In Acts chapter uh, 20, we uh, no doubt are reading throughout uh, this record of the early century churches. We find early on that uh, the attention is brought mainly to the church at Jerusalem. And then when the persecution arose, uh, the believers that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. And the result of that, when the apostles heard of groups there and groups there, they would send uh, apostles and uh, teachers to teach the people so that uh, people would uh, grow spiritually and churches were formed. And so we find the work of God multiplying early on, really through persecution. And persecution, if you look throughout church history, true church history, persecution has never destroyed the church. The church has always flourished under pressure. It seems that though as we do study history that the churches does not seem to do well in a prosperous and good environment. Uh, why does that happen? I think there's a number of things that we can think of. I think of when uh, the Lord told the children of Israel when they get to the land not to forget Him and not to say, look at what we have done, but to remember what God did for them. And there's something about human nature that even we can be in, in church and God can do something for us, but we get to the place where we don't need God anymore. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so often when there is uh, pressures and persecution, it uh, weeds out uh, those who uh, are not interested in sacrifice, uh, but also it challenges us to be faithful to the Lord. And um, after the persecution, we find that um, the book of Acts turns the attention on the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul was involved in uh, missionary journeys. We refer to them as missionary journeys. Uh, they fulfilled the Great Commission and Paul went uh, throughout Asia and he went uh, through Macedonia and Achaia, which is Greece, and uh, he would go back and forth through those areas, establishing churches and going back to the churches that had been established. And here we are on Paul's second missionary journey and Paul was he's trying to head back to Jerusalem but before he heads back, he leaves from Ephesus, goes to Troas, which is a port city in Asia Minor. He's going to sail over into Greece and travel to the churches there, come back. And now he comes back on his way back to Ephesus before he heads back to Jerusalem and then to Antioch, his sending church. And he stops back in Troas. And that's where we find him here in Acts chapter 20. And notice verse 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 7, read down to verse 16. Now, sometimes in the book of Acts, we find the Apostle Paul preaching. We find an emphasis on the evangelistic work, the work of evangelism from the Apostle Paul. But sometimes we're, we bring our attention to the activities of the church. And uh, there are two aspects. If we would divide... What goes on in the life and ministry of the church, there's really two aspects. There's what goes on inside the church when the church gathers together, 
and there's what goes on outside of the church, and that is the work of evangelism. Those are the two main things that we find going on in the book of Acts. Here, uh, we find a church meeting with believers. So it's not the work outside the church of evangelism, but it's the work that's going on within the church. And I'm interested in what goes on within the church. Are you? I think we can learn some things. And so uh, we're just going to look at, I'm really interested, sometimes, you know, we, we, some people, they, we tend to complicate the Word of God, but the wonderful truths are found in the simplicity of God's Word. And simply, God gives us this record because He wants us to know what they did so that we might know what we are supposed to do as well. So notice Acts 20, verse 7. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Acts 20, we'll begin reading in verse 7. And the Word of God says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Wow. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to preach till midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, he had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day. So he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. If you look back to verse 7, the Bible says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples... Notice, came together. I want to preach on uh, those two words, coming together, coming together. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for this assembly of believers. We are your people, and we are grateful to be called the children of God. And we now cry, Abba, Father, because we desire for the Spirit to speak to us as we concern ourselves with the activities of this church. May the activities of the first century churches uh, come to light, and may we resemble those. These are those who turn the world upside down, and certainly that is what we want to do. We want to make a difference in the world for the gospel and for the glory of God. And so, Lord, help us and give us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Early in the book of Acts, we talked about the general activities of the first century church in Jerusalem. If you remember, you won't have to turn there for sake of time, but in Acts chapter 2, early on, we have a, a summary statement. In Acts 2, it says in verse 41... Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine 
and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And so in this case, we don't have the how they broke bread or what they prayed. And we have a, a few limited accounts of the actual prayers that we find in the book of Acts. But we have those general statements as to the activities that went on within the church as to those who were saved, baptized, and added to that local congregation. And so we saw that early on, and throughout the book of Acts, we'll find those general statements as to the activity of the churches. And here we find one of those again. No doubt the church was involved in evangelizing in, uh, in the, the Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then you have the churches, plural, they are also evangelizing. They are sending forth laborers, and, and um, we call them missionaries today, but uh, servants of the Lord uh, throughout the world to spread the gospel. And what we know is that the work of evangelism was not just limited to the Apostle Paul. Because often we find him read, writing about other churches and areas that he had not been to, and he writes to those churches. One of the examples is a church at Rome. He had never been there, and he writes the letter saying that he had never been there. And so we no doubt know the work of evangelism, but I think that to a large degree it is important for us to know what goes on within the church, because really what goes on within the church makes us more effective as we go out in the world and evangelize the world. And so what do we learn here? Uh, we find here the general idea throughout the New Testament of an assembly of God's people. You find the word church. What does the word church mean? The word church is the, the word ecclesia, which means a called out assembly. And what we learn throughout the New Testament is that a local church is... Uh, First, uh, we could say it is local, it is localized. There's no such thing as a, a, a church, this universal church, invisible church that we don't know where it is. No, it is always local. It is all, not only local, but it is also visible where you can see where the group of people gather together. But it is also organized as we find in pattern throughout the New Testament. And so it is a called out assembly and you find those words, those simple words, when they came together. Now we uh, are coming out, I know that uh, a few years back when uh, the, you had uh, the, the pandemic that happened and, and COVID and all those things and uh, you, hear, you heard some government officials and people in high authority saying, well, you know, just, just uh, meet online and it's, it's the same thing. And the truth is, they say you can have church online. No, you cannot have church online. That is not church. Uh, now, I am grateful for technology. I'm grateful that we have the ability to live stream the service, to broadcast the service. We have people that aren't able to be here when they're sick, and so that's a blessing. My wife says she was blessed when the children were all sick successively over and over again. She wasn't able to come for two weeks. She, she was blessed by that. But it is not a substitute for the church. And so if we just cancel the assembling of God's people and say, hey, let's just have meetings online, that is not the church. The church is... a uh, 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 an assembly of people and the idea is that the people assemble together and there's something that is very important, very needful 
for God's people to be together, to meet together. And I know that we live in a technological age and everything is online and, and, and uh, through the internet, uh, but it, it, there will never be a substitute, an online substitute, for the meeting of God's people in a localized congregation that is visible. There is no substitute for that. And we find that here when he says that they came together. Uh, and the aspect here of coming together is very important. We find now in this passage what they do when they come together. And we have to ask ourselves as a congregation, what do we do when we come together? What should we be doing when we come together? And I am convinced today, and we live in a consumer mentality in this uh, kind of new age church, that now we have a bunch of products that are, that are out there, and we have some consumers that come as consumers to the church. And uh, I'm convinced today that one of the chief problems in American churches today is that we have a bunch of consumers who are spectators and not participants. They come and they go, and that's it. Don't ask me to do anything. Don't ask me to serve anywhere. Don't ask me to be involved. I just want to come because that's my religious duty. Uh, but don't, don't ask me to be involved. And the question we have to all ask ourselves together, what did they do when they came together? What did they do? Well, let's look at the Word of God. The first thing we find in verse 7 is upon the first day of the week. Now, that's an indication uh, we read about the Sabbath. We know that's uh, Saturday. The first day of the week is Sunday, not Monday in, in biblical terms. Uh, by the way, Jesus Christ was raised up from the dead on the first day of the week. And so we find here the pattern in the New Testament is that when believers came together, uh, they met on the first day of the week. Uh, remember when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, he says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And so the first day of the week is commonly referred to as the Lord's Day. You remember when John in Revelation was on the island of Patmos, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Well, what is the Lord's Day? Well, the Lord's Day is the first day of the week. Now, I, I'm going to try to show you here uh, that we find uh, that the emphasis in the New Testament is that God's people are recognizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they did not, by the way, Colossians tells us that we should not, we are not judged by Sabbath days. And so the Sabbath day is not binding on us, but although there's nothing binding on us, we should still gather together. We should still meet together. And in pattern, we find the church doing that on the first day of the week. Now, why would they do that? Well, let me give you a few reasons why. First of all, because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Also because Jesus repeatedly met His disciples at different places on the first day of the week after the resurrection. Also we know that Jesus blessed His disciples on the first day of the week in John 20 verse 19 in the upper room. We also know that Jesus imparted the disciples with the gift of the Holy Spirit on the first day of the week. We also know that on the first day of the week, 
Jesus commissioned His disciples to preach the gospel to every creature. We also know that it was on the first day of the week that Jesus ascended to heaven and that He was seated at the right hand of the Father and was made the head of all things. It was on the first day of the week that the resurrection of Christ was first proclaimed in Luke 24, verse 34. It was also on the first day of the week that our redemption was complete. According to Romans chapter 4, verse 25, we know that we are justified because Jesus Christ was raised, but He ascended up on high on the first day of the week. We also know that it was on the first day of the week that the Holy Spirit descended in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the believers were gathered. God did not come down in the Spirit on the Sabbath. He came on the first day of the week. The church was there on the first day of the week. It was also on the first day of the week that the early believers met regularly. We see that here in Acts chapter 20. We also see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You will find not one reference to the church meeting on the Sabbath. The only time that they met on the Sabbath was to preach the gospel to the Jews in the synagogue. That was it, to evangelize the lost. And so here, the disciples, they came together on the first day of the week. And so uh, there is a, by the way, there is no, if you would, there was no command in the Bible. As you find, for example, in the Old Testament, Keep, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which was instructed for the children of Israel. And so there's no such command in the New Testament that says that you must observe the first day of the week as the Lord's day, but it is natural. Why? Because much of what happened because of our, for our salvation happened on the first day of the week. And Jesus Christ, according to the book of Hebrews, He Himself is our Sabbath. And so to, to think today that there's a, uh, some people who say, well, I, I'm saved, I'm a believer, but I just want to, I don't want to participate in the activities of the church. I don't want to be part of the church. I, I'm just left to myself and I'm fine myself. I, I, I would say to you that you are in disobedience. You are living as a rebel, seeking to have no accountability. And by the way, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, that one of the evidence that you are truly regenerated by the Spirit of God is that you love the brethren. You love being in the meeting of the church. You love assembling with the people of God. There's something that is precious about that. Why? Because we understand that we are pilgrims. And so where else do we meet with fellow pilgrims but in the meeting of the church? So they met on the first day of the week, but notice what else they did. The Bible says, with the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, notice to break bread. So they broke bread. Now, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we find the expression breaking bread used throughout the book of Acts. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, now we know 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is the great chapter on the observance of uh, the Lord's uh, table, the communion of the Lord, and He gives them instruction as to how they're to do that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, He says this, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And notice, this idea of breaking of bread, what is this breaking of bread? I believe it's the observance of the Lord's table. It's not just them eating around and, and fellowshipping. Now, the reason why I say that is if you keep reading, uh, notice a little later on, uh, verse 11. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten 
and talked a long while. So notice there's a distinction between breaking bread and the eating part. Uh, the breaking bread is an observance you find early on in the book of Acts, and you find that uh, throughout the book of Acts. And the breaking of bread is the communion of the body of Christ. And so they uh, observed uh, the Lord's uh, table there on the first day of the week. So there's the aspect of they met on the first day. Now, by the way, that's not the only time they met. Uh, you know, we, we live in a society that uh, sometimes people, they try to, to say, well, you know, there's no command in the Bible that you should have Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And I say, well, okay, if you really want to follow the Bible, let's go early on in Acts. And the Bible says, and, and daily and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So if you really want to go to the Bible, let's meet every day then. But see, they don't want to go that direction. The truth is, I would put it this way, that uh, the Bible says that we should not, Hebrews, uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Let me ask you this, are we closer to the Lord's coming or further to the Lord's coming than we were yesterday? We are closer, and so the closer we get, the more we should meet. The less we should forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so uh, the truth is, what is your life? Well, you understand, we, we have things to do, we have plans, we, there are things that we need to accomplish in this world. Is there anything greater than God and His work in the world? I say to you, there's nothing greater. As important as your, your job is and your family is, uh, what is it that we prioritize in our lives? What is it? You see... They came together on the first day of the week. They broke bread, uh, but also there's something else that they did. And notice we, we think about our meetings and what do we do within the meetings. Well, notice what they did in verse 7. The Bible says, Paul preached unto them. He, he preached unto them. And notice we observe from this text here that, that the preaching was not a little ten-minute ditty. It was not just a, hey, I'm going to give you a little devotional today. Ten-minute devotional. No, no. He preached in the name. I want you to notice here uh, the preaching. The Bible says, uh, and by the way, he preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. Now, we know that Paul's um, tendency is he, according to the book of Romans, he wanted to impart to people some spiritual gift. God had given him what the first century churches needed. We have that in the epistles, but he taught... Uh, what he received from the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that he received from God. He taught the, uh, the disciples, he taught there the believers at Troas, and imparted unto them those spiritual truths. Now, we don't know what he said. We just know he preached, and then we know. Now, notice, why would God, it's, it's the, the only time that I can remember in the book of Acts that talks about the length of a sermon that the Apostle Paul is preaching. Now, some of the sermons are recorded, but we don't have the length. But here the Bible says, and he continued his speech until midnight. Midnight. We learn also, and there were, verse 8, and there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man. Now, lest we think that, well, he probably started at 11 or 11.30 and went till midnight. Well, look, let's keep reading. There's a certain man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep, and as Paul was what? <laughs> he was long preaching. He was long-winded. Now, uh, I'm, I'm sure that if I was there, I would say, keep preaching, Paul. 
I think we would all agree with that. Uh, but he was long preaching, and so Eutychus, he sung down into his sleep. You know, we all know what that means here, because the Bible says he fell asleep. So there's that initial struggle when you're trying to stay awake in church. You know, you're like, and you wake up, and then you start going down, and you wake up, uh, you know, as soon as I start raising my voice. And that's like the, the pre-stage of falling asleep. But then you sink into sleep. It's like, oh. and then there's no waking you up. And so that's what happened here uh, with, with Eutychus. He, he fell down, uh, well, he, he sunk down in a deep sleep, and he ends up falling off from the first loft, and he was taken up dead. So uh, this is pretty bad that's happened. Now, now, some people criticize Eutychus for falling asleep, and I just say, well, the Bible does say it was a long sermon. And look, he may have worked uh, all day or all night the night before. And so I, I don't, you know, sometimes people are tired. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that we should not criticize him. Paul, the Bible says he was long-winded. And so it does happen. And by the way, I don't think this is God's judgment because he was raised from the dead. So that's just my, my two cents about that. But the point I'm trying to emphasize here is that Paul preached unto them. He preached. Notice, uh, he could say, well, these are the believers there. He, why does the Bible say teach? It says preach, hurled forth. Uh, see, there's times when Paul was teaching, but there's time when Paul was preaching, and there, the aspect of preaching, the idea of teaching, as often as you're imparting doctrine, you're imparting truth, where somebody is learning, but the preaching conveys the idea that he demands a response from people. That's what preaching is. You see, when we open the Word of God, certainly there's teaching going on, but there should also be preaching going on, where truth and doctrine is communicated, but then preaching says there needs to be a response from what is preached and from what is taught. In other words, the Word of God always brings us to a place where we ought to make a decision for the Lord. What is it that God is trying to do in our lives? God, uh, would you reveal what I need today? Speak to my heart, please, Lord. Now, the Bible here says, Paul preached unto them, and so we might think here, uh, what, what, what is he preaching? We don't know what he's preaching, but I think we have a pretty good indication of what the Apostle Paul is preaching on. Let me just give you an overview of the book of Acts that we've seen so far. There is a clear pattern throughout the book of Acts. The preaching must be understood by two undeniable traits in the book of Acts. The first one is the authority behind the preaching. And the second one is the focus of their preaching. Uh, think about it. Acts 8.5, the Bible says they preached Christ unto them. In Acts 8.25, the Bible says they preached the word of the Lord. They preached the gospel. Acts chapter 8, verse 35, the Bible says that uh, Philip preached unto the Ethiopian eunuch. He preached unto him Jesus. Acts chapter 9 verse 20, they preached Christ in the synagogue. In Acts chapter 9 verse 27, they preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 13 verse 5, they preached the Word of God. In Acts chapter 13, verse 38, they preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. In Acts chapter 14, verse 25, they preached the Word. In Acts chapter 15, verse 36, they preached the Word of the Lord. In Acts chapter 17, verse 13, the Word of God was preached. In Acts chapter 17, verse 18, they preached unto them Jesus. You see two uh, traits that come out. First of all, it is the authority behind the preaching. What's the 
authority, the Word of God. And the second one is the focus of the preaching. What's the focus of the preaching? It's Jesus Christ. So those are the two uh, undeniable traits of the preaching of the New Testament. The authority behind the preaching is the Word of God, and the focus or the attention is on Jesus Christ. Now, we'll see that later. When uh, Paul gathers the elders, when he leaves Troas and goes down to Ephesus in this very chapter, when he gathers them, he will tell unto them, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All the counsel of God. Now, I think of Paul, and we know that's what he did. He will say that later in Acts, uh, in Acts 20 when he meets the elders in Ephesus about preaching the whole counsel of God. But do you remember what Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, when he was the pastor of Ephesus, he wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, in, for, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says this to Timothy, a young pastor. He says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And here's what he says. He says, uh, preach, ah, the word. It's not just preaching. It's not just proclaiming. It's not just teaching. It's not just having a speech. It's not trying to tickle people's ears. He says to Timothy, I'm charging you. You must take this seriously because you're going to answer to God for that. You have to preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. He tells him, he says, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine for the time will come. When they shall not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. And so the Apostle Paul says, when, uh, Young Timothy, when you stand before the congregation at Ephesus, you make sure uh, you have a charge before God to preach the word. Preach the word. Well, what, is, what does it mean to preach the Word? Well, the simplest thing, the simplest way I can think of is you have to open the Bible first. Now, this may seem simple and trivial, but I'm trying to diagnose the problem in American churches today is there's not a whole lot of opening of the Word of God. If you're going to preach from the Word, you have to open the Word. You have to also have the right Word. And then when you open the Word, uh, you read the Word, and then you explain the Word. Now, it's not very complicated, but it is neglected. It's not complicated, but it is neglected. Why? Well, the truth is there are many unpleasant things in the Bible. Things that the old nature does not like. Now Paul said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And so the responsibility of the preacher, understand that if I uh, get up and declare the word of God and you see it in the word of God, is for you to say, well, this is what God says. And so uh, please, I, I would encourage you, don't look down on me as being this mean person. I'm simply trying to deliver to you what God has said in the best clearest way that I can with the help of God. It's the Word of God. That's what the church did when they came together. 
Uh, why do we spend so much time, the majority of the time, in the church meeting when the church gathers on the preaching of the Word of God? Because that's what the churches did in the first century. And uh, notice it was not like the most neglected or the smallest part. It seems to be the main part. The main part. Notice we continue the emphasis here as we read just a moment ago. Uh, he says that he continued till midnight at the end of verse 7. And I, I'm, I'm looking at Paul. I know Eutychus fell asleep, but that's just one that fell asleep. And I think he, there could have been others, but I think he's highlighted because he fell and died. And so, but I'm, 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 I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, well, didn't, didn't these people have to get up tomorrow, the next day? Don't, don't these people have things to do? Do we think that in the first century they all just sat around, that nobody had jobs and nobody had any type of life or anything? No, I, I think that we would be wrong to assume those things. No, these people have lives, but it is, doesn't it seem uh, uh, true that the, the, not just the apostles were faithful to teach the Word of God, but the people that gathered were faithfully uh, ready and expecting to hear and were saying, we want to hear more from God. We want to hear more from the Word of God. We want to be taught more. And it seems that they can't get enough. We read early on in the book of Acts that uh, they were steadfastly continuing in the apostles' doctrine. Steadfastness. I, I, wonder, I wonder if the spirit of the, those believers at Troas is the same spirit that is found in us where we are steadfastly trying to receive and receive the teaching from the Word of God and the preaching from the Word of God. They continue, he continued his speech until uh, midnight. The Bible even says in verse 8 that there were many lights in the chambers where they were gathered. And so, uh, why would the Bible tell us that? Well, because it's late. It's dark outside. You see, for the typical family then, the typical Jewish family, uh, whether you were, uh, and by the way, around the world, uh, you see, the days work with the sun. The sun rises, you get up. The sun goes down, you yourself, you go down. But here it seems that those people are, are living really outside of the culture and the norm. Why? Because there's a new priority in their lives and they're willing to stay way up late into the night. There's lights. There's all kinds of lights. Now, some people say that Eutychus probably fell asleep from all the smoke uh, that, uh, and it did something to him. Uh, but, but the point is, you see, they're, they're all late. It's late. There's lights on. And while the whole city is shut down and everybody is in bed, there's activity going on in the church. Boy, that's compelling, isn't it? The only other type of behavior that you would have found at Troas at that time are the people who were involved in ungodly behavior. Well, the people often who are involved in ungodly behavior are very diligent about fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And how diligent are we in embarking and embracing the spiritual activities of the church? We see here in verse uh, 7, they were, uh, they were gathered together, the disciples uh, came together. We come to verse 9, the Bible says, But when divers were hardened, and uh, uh, excuse me, I'm in chapter 19. Notice verse 9, And there sat in a window a, a, a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he 
sung down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, he says trouble not yourselves because you know everybody's shocked. Can you imagine? I mean, we're in a basement, so we're not on the third floor here, but uh, nobody's falling from anywhere. But you can imagine the shock in the church at that time. There's a young man who's tried to stay up. He fell asleep, and he's dead. And Paul says, Don't uh, trouble yourself. His life is in him. And notice here, after what happened, so you would think here that it would kind of be the event that would cause everybody to say, all right, well, I guess that's it. You know what I mean? Like it's the shock of the moment. Eutychus fell, and he's dead, and it's pretty major. I mean, it's the, the balcony, and so uh, th- this is major. But, but notice what happens after that. When he, therefore, was come up again, that Paul, and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until the break of day, so he departed, and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. So there's two things going on. So Paul was in the loft and he was preaching. So he goes down. Eutychus is raised from the dead. And Paul goes back up. And he continues where he left off. I said, does he have no concern? He's alive. Eutychus is alive. <laughs> there's no concern needed anymore. But he's probably gathering himself. The people are probably tending to him. But Paul goes right back up. And then we have another insight into what the church did. Verse 11. He had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day. So he departed. So they broke bread, they ate, and they talked a long while. Well, what is, what, what is that here? He's not preaching now, but he is talking. They're talking. They're, we could say here that they're in fellowship. And this fellowship was not just uh, a few minutes here, a few minutes there. The Bible tells us even till break of day. Now remember, Paul is traveling the next day. That's why he wanted to preach to them and given all that he could that night. And he's not going to bed. He's staying up uh, and he, until, until the break of day. He is talking with them. So there's something about the fellowship of the believers. Let me, let me ask you this. When you come to church, is, is your spirit inside of you say, I just can't wait to get out? Is it that? Or, and it does happen a lot at our church, sometimes people are talking and I'm standing around and you say, uh, so pastor, is it time to leave? And I say, no, you stay as long as you want. And there's something special about the ongoing fellowship. Even sometimes, uh, Sunday night, the last Sunday night of the month, and we have our monthly fellowship, and we have a dinner together, and, and sometimes we're, we're out of here very late. Can I encourage you? That is normal if you think about New Testament Christianity, and it is healthy, and it is good. We may not like to admit that, but the truth is we need each other. You need me, I need you, we need each other. Uh, We're there to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another. Why? Because we live in a world that this is their home. And this world is not our home. 
And so there's something special about the fellowship of the believers. The Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews that we should uh, not forsake ourselves, but we should exhort one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so we should try to use that opportunity to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to build one another up, and not to tear each other's down. There's something about the church that, look, the, the scars and the heartache is found in the world, but when you come to the church, you ought to be comforted by the fellowship of believers. And so there's two aspects of that. Number one, don't forsake that fellowship. But number two, what are you actively engaged in, in the fellowship of the church, to benefit your, your brother and sister in Christ? What are you engaging in? To build your brother and sister up in the Lord. <clears throat> How many of you have uh, this last year have done have been awake all day and then been awake all night? Uh, anybody all day and all night? A few of you, okay? Yeah. It's not pleasant, is it? It's tough, especially the next day. Sometimes you get that second wind. Uh, I know when, when, when I was in college, I went to school, then went to work, and then had to do uh, you know, the homework from the Bible college classes. And, and so when it came to the end of the semester, it was crunch time. And, and it's almost like you get to the morning, you get your second wind, but as the days go, as you find your body just fading and saying, you need to lay down, buddy. You're exhausted. Paul's traveling the next day. Uh, now, I want you to notice here, if we keep reading, he says, um, verse 12, And they brought the young men alive, and were not a little comforted. And we went before the ship, and sailed to Asos, there intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Asos, we took him and came to Mytilene. Now, I don't know if you notice that here, but the next day they were departing, and so the people that are traveling with Paul said, hey, let's go on the ship and go to Asos. And Paul says, I'll walk. That, that's what he says. They said, no, come, come. He walked. Now, some people, you could say, well, he probably walked because, you know, he needed the exercise. I mean, what else, why, why else, why would he not go on the ship and get the rest he needs? Why would he, what, why would he walk? For some reason, Paul thought he needed to walk. The point is, Paul knew what was going on in the time of head, but there's something about the preciousness of that time with the believers. Might we venture to say that Paul might think that this might be his last time seeing those believers in Troas? Now, the next place he's going is Ephesus. And he's going to embrace them, and they're going to cry together. Why? Because... They might never see each other again. So you see here that, that the preciousness of that fellowship that comes when the church gathers together, there's something about it that almost feels like family. A spiritual family. Not a physical family, but a spiritual family. I would say that it probably is the case for many of you, as it is for us that I've experienced it, uh, you know, we, we all have family members, but there's something about 
a closeness that you relate more and you're closer to those who are believers in Christ than to those who are outside of the faith. And so this local church is there to provide that fellowship, that strength, that place of exhortation, of conversation. And so understand that I'm trying to see here, yes, there's the preaching and there's the breaking of bread, but a, a great part of the church is the life of the church, the interaction with the believers. And the sense that when we leave, there's almost a heartbrokenness that we might not see them again. You know, we, 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 we you know, hear things on the news, um, a lot of things going on. Uh, but when we hear uh, things with the people that we know in the church, it affects us. It, it affects us in a way that um, is not necessarily because of our natural relation, but because of our spiritual relationship. And so I'm concluding with this. This is not that big a deal, but why would God leave us this? What, this is what happened in Troas. Why would God let us know what happened in Troas? Because I think that that is the, notice, none of those things, there is no command in the Bible to preach till midnight. There's no command in the New Testament uh, for them to uh, stay up all night. There's no command for them to speak together and to eat together uh, and to still to, the, to, to stay together till the break. There is no command. But it seems to happen naturally for the people of God. And so, does it happen naturally for us? And I say, if it is not, I would encourage you to say, Lord, would you help me if... if if, if there's no desire for me to be in the fellowship with God's people, if there's no desire for me to be a participant in the activities of the church, is there something wrong with me? Lord, please uh, speak to me. And so we have an, uh, an insight here into the activities of the church. And so may the Lord help us today.